You know, I'm excited this morning. I'm on my fourth time preaching this message this weekend already. I had to do Friday night, picked up Saturday night because my dad's traveling in South Africa, pick up the 7 a.m. service. Oh, I pulled it off. I did that one. And now I get to be with you guys. And we got one more at 1030. And um, it's cool. God's, God's got me. I'm fired up. And the Holy Spirit is moving. And it's, it's good. But um, I love you guys because you guys are getting more vocal. And I like that. There should be excitement in the house of God when we come every week. Amen? Amen. Because we're coming here. It's like family reunion every week, right? We've got to go do our thing day to day throughout the week. And it's like, oh, it's hard sometimes. But you come on Sunday and you're like, whoa, I'm in the house of God. His presence is here. You know, I'm with my team, my family. This is where we get equipped. This is where we get inspired. I get to share stories, fellowship. We pray together. We worship. We take communion. This is good. And we should be vocal about that because I don't know about you, but I've been watching the news and I watch like all the... Uh, presidential debates, and I watch politicians when they give speeches, and a lot of times they say stuff like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut taxes, and the crowd's like, yeah, yeah, that's right, I'm going to fix the whole health care system, yeah, everybody gets excited, right, and you're like, you know what, I'm going to provide more jobs for Americans, and everybody's like, yeah, and we come to church, and Jesus lives, and yay, <laughs> what's up with that, right, we're preaching eternal truths from the king of creation, it's changing people's lives, bringing them to tears, right? We're singing worship songs to our God, and we're coming in here, we read scripture, and then when I ask for an amen, people are like, oh, amen. <laughs> Sounds good. You know what the word amen means? It means it's a, a term of affirmation of agreement. It means so be it. Let it be done. Yes, we agree wholeheartedly. When we hear the word of God preached, we ought to get excited about that stuff, and we better say, yeah, amen. <laughs> Cut taxes, amen. Jesus is in my life, amen, amen, right? bigger. And so I love that you guys are getting more vocal because that's who we're supposed to be. This is the time to get together and be fired up because then come Monday through Friday, a lot of us feel like, well, we're on our own now. So we, we need the rally cry, the pep talk, the coaching, right? You go into a locker room during a game and the coach is like, I want you guys to get out there. You're going to smash the offense. And guys are like, yeah, okay, we can do that. <laughs> Sounds good. I want you to just kill that defense. All right, I'll, I'll try. Right? No, that's not what they do. They're like, rah, 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 right? And they're punching lockers and, you know, all kinds of stuff's going on, right? We got to get fired up about God. So when we get into this, I want you guys, when you hear something that, that speaks to you, to, to, to say it, to give amens, to shout because God is speaking spiritual truth into your life. And it's not for me. It's not because I said something. But you know what happens when you guys get behind stuff and we, we get fired up? It helps me to preach his word even more. It gives me more confidence to say that's right, what I'm preaching here is eternal, holy truth, absolute standards for our life, and it gets me more excited. So I'm loving that you guys have become more vocal, so stay there, keep it there, crank it up if you want. I will never be mad if you're extra loud, so go for it. But um, it's that time again, let's break out the word of God. Oh, wait, I forgot something. Service times, I did not include that, it's in this. Service times, major thing for you guys, service times are changing on Easter weekend. Come Easter Sunday, from here on out, not just for Easter weekend, from there on out after that, 7, 9, and 11. So we're pushing you guys back a little bit. You guys can sleep in half an hour more. The, the next service has to come all the way at 11 o'clock. It'll end by 12.30. But here's the reason why, and I told you this last week, is 7 o'clock service was getting ripped off. They were getting an hour-long service, and you and the next service are getting hour and a half to get the most of God, the most of the word, the most of the worship, all of that stuff. In 7 a.m., we're cutting everything short. And they're feeling ripped off. And we said, we're not that kind of church. When we give our best, we're going to give our best and everybody gets equal, Amen. fair service at this church. And so we wanted them to have it. So you guys are doing it as a blessing to them. And you also get to sleep in later. So double bonus. But anyway, <laughs> that's coming up on Easter. So remember that. All right, let's open the word of God right now. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Oh, one last thing. We have about 11 slots available at the Bloodmobile right out there. Our church um, gives blood to the Bloodmobile um, four times a year, quarterly. And we're saving lives, guys. Not just in here spiritually saving lives. When we give our blood, we're actually saving physical lives. And so our church is all about that. That's why they're out there in the middle and you, you have a hard time parking around them and all that. But it's for a worthy cause. If you guys want to give blood and you didn't sign up, they have about 11 or 12 slots available right after this service would be a good time. So 
Tell your husband or wife right now, hey, let's go give blood. Let's go save some lives. Right after service, we're going to do that. All right. Now we can get into the Word of God. I'm ready. You guys ready? Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7 right now. Let's bust that one open. And we are going to, I hope you're ready for this, we are going to conquer 40 verses today. Are you ready? One whole chapter, the Word of God, we're going to get into it. Just give your little partner next to you just a little nudge, a little bump, a punch in the face, whatever you need to do. Tell them, wake up, because we're going for 40 verses right now. Okay? We're going into it. Okay, so here's what's going on in Scripture as you open up to chapter 7, 1 Corinthians. What's happening here is Paul has been addressing issues in the church, sin and problems in the church up until this point, right? The first six chapters. Hey, you guys got to work on this. This is, I heard this about you guys. You're not confronting one another in love. You're not acting like a family. What's going on? Don't you want what's best for you? Here's what's best. Here's a list of all the things that are not good for you. Remember that? Last week we talked about that. So this week now, he starts in, in chapter 7, with answering specific questions that the church at Corinth had regarding marriage regarding sex, regarding divorce, regarding relationship, these kind of problems Paul is going to get into today. And remember, he's not just trying to preach an overall complete theology and comprehensive view of marriage. There's a lot of places in the Bible you can get more of it, but he covers a lot of it today. But really what he's doing is only answering specific questions. The Corinthians were writing letters to Paul. He was writing to them, but they were writing to Paul. He's at Ephesus now, and they're writing and going, hey, Paul, you told us all about God and all this stuff. We're kind of off track. We got some questions. What about marriage? What about divorce? What about sex? What about being single? What about if you're a Christian and you're married to a non-Christian? We got some questions. So they asked them these questions. Now Paul begins coming in with answers to questions. If you like what you're hearing today and you're going, I want to dig deeper. What else does the Bible say about marriage and relationships? Let me give you a few verses right now. Grab the pen out of the seat back in front of you or steal your neighbors, whatever you need to do. Get a pen right now and write down these verses. These are other helpful verses on marriage. Ephesians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Genesis chapter 2. The book of Proverbs, anywhere where it talks about relationship and marriage. Nuggets of wisdom, wisdom in there. Uh, the book Song of Solomon is written as uh, a view of a romantic love relationship between a healthy husband and wife who are rooted in God and in a relationship with Him. These are other places to go. This is for further reading for you guys to dig into your word. But what we're talking about today, Paul is addressing issues because the, the city of Corinth, the church at Corinth, having problems, messed up in their view of sex and view of marriage. You guys know this because back in chapter 5, remember the problem that they were having? I mean, they're having some big messed up problems, right? Jerry Springer kind of stuff was happening, right? This was a messed up society. Remember chapter 5 is we read about the man who was in the church calling himself a Christian, part of the family of God, and it says he was having sexual relationships with his father's wife, which you can either read it as possibly his stepmother or even his mother. Whoever it was, his father's wife, that's messed up, right? And so Paul's going, and you guys aren't even saying anything about it? So that's what chapter 5 was, kind of like a rebuke, like love enough to correct. But as we get into it today, he's going, you guys have questions and you're doing it wrong. Some of you are, are doing, having sex with the, the temple prostitutes of the goddess that's in this city, Aphrodite, and she's got all of this, and you guys are messing your lives up over there with that. And some of you guys are cheating on your spouses. And some of you guys actually go the opposite extreme end of it in saying, Sex is bad, therefore marriage is bad, that, therefore every one of us should be Christian and abstain, and that's all that we do. And Paul's going, well, you guys are all over the place, you're messed up, let me answer some questions here. So here's where he gets into it, and, and you got to understand this. If you walked in today and you go, oh no, he's talking about marriage, you know what, I'm a widow, or I'm divorced, or I'm not even married yet, I'm single. There's a message in this for you too, because God, today, Paul, the apostle, he's addressing three groups of people, very distinctively. Number one, look in your notes, he's addressing Christians married to, to Christians. Anybody in the house, you're a Christian and you're married to another Christian right now? That describes you, okay? First part is going to be for you guys, Christians married to Christians. The second part is for anyone that we might have in the room today in our church body that's a Christian, but their spouse is at home right now sleeping in or watching the game or whatever. You're, you're married to a non-Christian and you're wondering, how do I handle that, God? That may be some of you guys in the room today. And the other group of people he's talking to is the rest of you guys that aren't even married at all right now. Maybe you've been married, maybe, yeah, that's right. Woo, singles for Jesus. <laughs> and maybe that's you, and that's cool, because God has given us in his word 
something for everyone regarding marriage. Isn't that good? That's good. So we're going to talk about those three areas. So first group today, Paul's talking about Christians married to Christians. Okay, so pay attention. That's me. This is stuff for me, and I've been learning this whole weekend. He says, now regarding the questions you asked in your letter, yes, it is good to have a celibate life. So he's saying, yeah, if you want to stay single and, and abstain from dealing with sex and all that, yeah, that's okay. That's good. But then he says immediately, but because there's so much sexual immorality, okay, and what, what sexual immorality means, or in your Bible it might say fornication, it basically means the strong sexual de desires that we have and us giving into them in the wrong way. And God's view of that is anything that happens outside of a man and a woman bound together in holy matrimony for life. That's God's ideal. That's what he designed. That's what he set up. He says, this is best for you. Now, you may be sitting here today going, I made some mistakes, whatever. Don't worry. There's hope for that. There's hope for you. We're going to read about what God's best is, and we're going to talk about what we have to do if we haven't been living God's best. But he's saying, but because I've created every human being with a sex drive, it's natural, it's normal. Genesis 2.18 said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Then he goes, then you guys should marry one another. It's okay. It's good to be single, but he also says, um, each man should have. The word have means to focus on, to hold, to possess, to cling to, to adhere to. You should have your own wife. In other words, stay focused on what you have, not on what you don't have. You should have your own wife, and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. Amen. Come on, men. Amen. That's right. You know, I, sex is a really good thing, and God created it, and it's supposed to be used in marriage, but it is, it's a good thing, and it's great to hear God saying, hey, wives, take care of business for your husband. Husbands, take care of business for your wife, because that's how he created us. There's no shame in that. It's the word of God. He made us that way, right? I mean, I got three amazing, healthy kids, and I enjoyed every minute of making those kids. Amen? It's a good thing, right? But God is giving us some examples here on here's how to keep it the best thing for you. You can do it in the wrong ways, a little instant gratification here and there, but there's consequences. You do it my way. It's good, and it gets better, right? Saying that each should have our own husband or wife. The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs. The wife should fulfill her husband's needs. Amen again. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. That means when you get married, you don't just belong to you anymore, right? The we becomes stronger than the me or the you. The we is more important that we share each other. Um, and it says in verse 5, do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, you should come together again so that Satan won't be allowed to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession or a permission or a, an allowance. He's going, here's some words of wisdom and some words of advice to you. He says, it's not as a command. I'm not commanding you to separate or whatever, but I'm saying if times are tough, and there's reasons for separation sometimes in our marriages. Maybe there's just too much bickering going on and you're just like you're at an impasse. Or maybe there's abuse. Or maybe there's strongholds that are going on and somebody's got addictive behaviors that are unhealthy or they're bringing something into the relationship that is just not right. He goes, there is a place. I'm, I'm not saying it's commanded, but there's a place when you need to kind of separate for a little while. And we're going to get into that in a minute. He says, verse 7, but I wish everyone were single just as I am. This is the Apostle Paul talking. But God gives to some the gift of marriage and to others the gift of singleness. And I want you to clearly hear this and understand this. No matter where you're at right now, it is a gift from God. Just bloom where you're planted. Just enjoy where you're at until God changes it. If you're single and you're looking to be married, you don't have to be envious and jealous or anything. And oh, I wish I was that. And you married folks can't go back to like, oh, I wish I was still single, right? That's no good. What God is saying here is, both of those things are a gift if you embrace it and you really understand it. And we don't, ha we shouldn't, married people shouldn't make single people feel bad. Like, oh, when are you going to get married? When are you going to get married? That's wrong. If they're there right now and that's their season God has for them, we ought to be helping them and supporting them and lifting them up wherever they're at. And if they're hoping to get married, praise God, that's the next season of their life. But we got to be careful on how we kind of judge and look down or look up to people in different marital statuses. Both can be a gift. Verse 8, he says, so I say to those who aren't married and to widows, you're single, 
it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. Now, this is Paul giving his personal view because at the time he's writing this, he's been unmarried and it gives him the freedom to travel all around the world, to just worry about feeding his, his, himself, not worry about caring for someone else, and to do a lot of the ministry of God. So for him, a lot of this, his personal view is, man, it's good to be single. So don't worry about it, guys. It's not a bad thing. It's good. But here's the thing that is a little side note about Paul that's interesting to know, that it doesn't say in the Bible that he was married. In fact, it looks like, oh, he's just single. He's always been a single guy. The thing that you got to realize is that he was a Jewish rabbi, right, trained in, in the Pharisaical law and Mosaical law and Old Testament and all this. And he became a member of the Sanhedrin, which is the large group of governing body of the Jewish religion. And they took care of all the Jewish laws. So to be a member of the Sanhedrin, you actually had to be married. He couldn't have been a member of the Sanhedrin unless he was married. Because they said, we want all the guys in the Sanhedrin married so that they can have some understanding of human nature and how to manage another human and have mercy and grace by having a wife and understanding what that's all about. You will be better religious judges and rulers over the people if you have a wife. So we know that for him to be in the Sanhedrin, he must have been married. But at the time of writing this, he's no longer married. What scholars believe is that when he got converted to Christianity on the road to Damascus and he was blinded and he was spoken to by the Lord, that at that moment on when he said, Jesus is the only way. It's not about all the religion anymore. It's about relationship with God. The scholars believe at that point, his wife said, what? What are you on? What's going on? You're like, you're different. No, no, you, you're giving away your high position as this, this Jewish leader and all of this status and everything. And now you're becoming this servant of God and you're teaching this Christianity. And they believe that she left at the time. So here's Paul, a guy that can relate to some of us who have been married before and, and our wives or our husbands or whatever aren't with us or whatever. He's teaching from a, a, a view of singleness. And he's saying, it works for me, but you know what? Either way, guys, it's good. Look at verse 9. He says, but if, if you're unmarried and they can't control themselves, this is meaning sexual, the sex drive, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. But for those who are married, I have a command that comes not from me. Here's Paul talking now, but from the Lord. He's saying Jesus talked about this stuff. And here's the command. A wife must not leave her husband. But if she does leave him, let her remain single or else be reconciled to him. And the husband must not leave his wife. He's saying, black and white, bottom line, God's word says, marriage for life is the ideal standard. Marriage for life is the ideal standard. Don't even play with divorce. He's saying, if you two are both really, really honestly living your lives as Christians, the two of you seeking God together, seeking better relationship for one another, there should be absolutely no means and no reason necessary for divorce. Now, he does make a concession later on. Jesus himself even said it. If one of the people is not acting like a Christian and fooled around on the other one, it actually would brought marital unfaithfulness. It actually says in Matthew 5, 32, Mark 10, 11, where Jesus actually said, well, if there's unfaithfulness, then you have grounds for divorce. But he says, but even then, if you can stick it out and hold on together and do it God's way, even in spite of unfaithfulness, God can and will work it out. There's people sitting in this church today, probably here right now, that you would never know have gone through marital unfaithfulness. The reason is because the marriage was built on God. One of them messed up, did this great thing. The other one said, I could divorce, but I'm not going to because I believe my God is a God of miracles, of healing, of forgiveness, of freedom, and I believe we can make this thing work because God is in it. And God brought it together, healed it, made it stronger, and you would never know the people around you that have healthy, successful marriages and have been through this because they chose God's best for their life and said, even in spite of marital unfaithfulness, I can hold on to my spouse, hold on to God, and he's going to do something beautiful. Isn't that amazing? And that's real. And God can do that stuff. And I love that. And so he's saying here, but remember, here's the command is that you don't need to, to deal with marital unfaithfulness. You don't even need to deal with divorce. Just hold on, focus on me. And here's the first point that I read in all of this stuff. If you're taking notes, you can write this one down. Focus on what you have, not on what you have not. The Bible is saying that each man, each woman should have their husband or their wife. That means to hold on to you, to focus on them, and to cling to them. You should hold on to them. And part of that, you should meet the other one's sexual needs, spiritual needs, emotional needs. You should be able to meet the needs of that other person. But in order to meet the other person's needs, for me to meet my wife's needs, the one thing I understand that I have to do is I have to open my mouth and I have to say what my needs are, right? There's too many times in marriages where we get going and we start thinking, man, I just wish my wife would do this. Doesn't she know my needs? 
and right? And she's going, I wish Carl would be better at this and he could be a better husband to me if he da 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 The problem is we don't talk about it. We just hold on to it. We get mad at each other, right? When really what the, the Bible is saying is to meet your spouse's needs, open your mouth and say, hey, honey, I wish you could kind of do this a little bit more. This would help me. And my, you know, my wife comes along and says, Carl, you know what you could do to, to help me out? Could you wake up early and get the kids ready? Can you do this? Can you, you know? And we talk about it. And I believe that that's what God is saying here is if we're to fulfill one another's needs, you don't just come into that marriage so that your needs could get fulfilled, but you got to realize that there's, there's give and take. It goes both ways, right? That like I expect her to do all of this for me. What am I doing for her, right? That, that we got to focus on what we have, not what we don't have. And write this one down. Don't look elsewhere for fulfillment. Fulfillment should come from your spouse, your spouse alone. Don't look elsewhere for fulfillment. That means guys, girls, sometimes we look for certain things our wife or husband is not giving us, and we look to the computer because that gets us going in a way and meets some needs in a way that we're maybe not getting in our marriage. Something's wrong, right? God says you are enough for each other. You're created to meet each other's needs, and it should be getting better and better and better, your marriage. It's like a fine wine, right? It gets better with age, right? But God is saying don't look anywhere else for, for, for fulfillment, for meeting those needs. And I know sometimes women... We tend to go, man, I'm not getting the romance from my husband, right? Guys, we have a hard time with the romance factor. So, so what do women do? I'm going to read romance novels and just lose myself in this fantasy because I'm not getting that from my husband. You shouldn't have to turn to that, to the computer, to the magazines that fold out three ways. You guys know what I'm talking about. You shouldn't have to be looking at that kind of a stuff because if you're meeting the needs of your spouse and they're meeting the needs for you, then you're good. There's no distractions. Don't go looking for stuff anywhere else. Don't go looking for that fulfillment. You should be doing that right there in your own marriage. Sometimes we look for the grass is greener on the other side. Let me tell you this. If you're in the Lord, the grass is greener where you water it. The grass is greener where you water it. You invest in your marriage. It's going to get better. You bring the Lord into your marriage. It's going to get better. Don't be looking around. One of my friends said he counseled one of his buddies who's a Christian. His marriage was not super strong, and part of the reason was his buddy said, you know, I've been kind of uh, not cheating on my spouse, but, you know, nothing physical, but just doing a little Facebook flirting, you know? Makes me feel good. Other people like me and comment me, and so kind of doing the little Facebook flirting thing. And my friend, who's a godly mad man, came to him, and he goes, that's wrong. You shouldn't be looking for fulfillment over there. You should be getting that from your wife. You should be giving that to your wife. And he goes, you know what you need to do? He's like, what? Shut your Facebook down right now. Delete it. Oh, well, you know, I don't know about that. You know, he goes, look, I'm right here. You got your computer. Shut it down. Oh, I, you know, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of steps. It takes this. And my friend just sat there and he says, I got time. <laughs> Go ahead. Do it. Because you need to invest in your marriage. Focus on what God has given you, not what else is out, outside there. Amen? Focus on what God's given to you. It gets better. But not just you don't look elsewhere for fulfillment. For fulfillment, don't give them a reason to look elsewhere for fulfillment. It's on both of us as much as it's on either one of us, right? It's wrong for me to go looking at other things, other sources for fulfillment, but it's also wrong for my wife to give me any reason to do that, right? It's that we ought to be pouring into our relationships so that I know my wife isn't going to have to go looking for uh, teenage romance vampire movies to have a, like a, a romantic <laughs> life. You guys know what I'm talking about? If I'm giving her what she needs and I'm loving her right, then I, she doesn't need to go looking anywhere else. And the same for her to me. It's like, I can, you're everything, baby. I love it. Thank you. But you got to talk about that to make that kind of stuff happen. And that's, that's really good. That's why verse 5 says, don't withhold from your spouse what belongs to them. When you get married, two become one. You don't just belong to yourself anymore. You belong to your spouse. And by withholding sex, sometimes we do that. No, no, I don't feel like it. I don't want this. Not just sex, but I think emotional feelings, all of this kind of stuff, the, the intimacy, we withhold it from our spouse, sometimes to teach them a lesson, to spitefully get back at them, to do something like that. And God is going, no, 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 the only reason you should separate from each other is to make it better. Write that down. That's a good truth from the Word of God right there. The only reason you should ever take a break from your spouse is to make it better, not to make it worse. The only reason that you should take a break, according to Scripture, is three conditions have to happen. Number one, you both mutually agree that you're going to take a break. It's not just one going, well, I'm out of here, and you leave. It's that you both agree, hey, we need to take a break a little bit. Number two is it should be a limited set upon time. We're going to do this for a week or a couple days or a month or something like that. But it's not like, yeah, we'll see till it gets better. 
10 years later, right? No, that's wrong. It's that you agree to it. It's for a set amount of time. And the third thing is, so you can devote yourselves to prayer. So you can go to God. You can seek God because the goal in separating is a tough love kind of a thing so that you can work on your relationship with God, making it better so that when you come back together, it's healed and it's whole. Amen? The goal is not to, I, I read somewhere this week that sex is a tool to build with, not a weapon to fight with. We use it as a weapon sometimes, don't we? Like, no, you're not getting any and you don't deserve any, right? All you're doing is setting your partner up to go sin because they're going to go look in someplace else for what you're not giving them. And you yourself, according to scripture, are sinning because your body belongs to your spouse and you're supposed to be sharing it and fulfilling one another's needs. This is some heavy stuff that it's talking about, but it's good, isn't it? It's real truth. It's the word of God kind of stuff here. Um, and then I, what I believe is communication is the key. You guys hear it all the time, but communication with three different parties, I think, is, is the key. Here's the communication. Number one, for Christians in a healthy marriage, you need to make sure you're communicating with God. Number one, your marriage is built on God. The only place you're going to be getting absolute truth and absolute right answers on how to live a relationship with God is from his word and is from talking to him. It's from praying and being in the word daily and devotions and making sure that your, your house, your life is built upon a strong foundation, and that's communicating with God. He will give you all that you need to know. But secondly, almost as important, is you better be communicating with your spouse. Again, telling them what's on your heart and what's on your mind, and don't be keeping anything and building up grudges and holding it, then one day it all breaks loose and just, rah, right? And everything's a mess. But you share and you talk things through. Communicate with God, communicate with your spouse. And here's a third area that some of us neglect. Communicating with godly counsel with Christian counseling, with friends of ours in our lives that are not the friends that when we go and say, my marriage is hurting and this is going on, that they're going to go vent and tell everybody else and they're going to go gossip and they're going to go make a big scene of it. But every one of us should have at least one or two of those people in our lives that we know that when I'm struggling with stuff in my marriage, I only trust this person. Why? Because this person is going to push me back to God and back to my spouse and to work it out. That the whole goal that if I have someone to communicate with is that they're going to help me make my marriage better. They're not going to gossip. They're not going to go out there and do all that. They're not going to pull me away from my spouse. They're going to push me back to them. And to have friends like that, it takes time to develop, get in a mini church, learn to talk to people, find people you can open up to like that. But it also may be that you need to go see a good Christian, emphasis on Christian, Christian counselor. I've been to Christian counseling, my wife and I. And not because we're on the rocks of divorce or any of that kind of stuff. Um, I know other pastors and other people in this church have been to Christian counselors. And the good thing about it is when I went to the Christian counselor and my wife and I were like, oh, we just got some things we need to work out and we just need like a, an outside godly perspective and we trust you. We don't trust a lot of people, but we know you hear from God and we trust you. We go and, and they're, they're like this. We're so glad you came. I'm like, why? This is like marriage counseling. We're so glad you came because usually the people that walk through our door are last resort, it's too late, the marriage is over, and they're trying to salvage something that's not even there anymore. Praise God for people that when they need small adjustments in marriage, go to someone that can speak into their lives and say, you tweak this a little bit, you tweak this a little bit, now you guys come back together and look how healthy it is. See, the place for Christian counseling is in preventative maintenance, not for salvage damage control. You know what I mean? When it gets too late, that it's already down that road, it's so much better to go in and just go, hey, we need a little bit of advice, neutral party. Can you help us out here? We, we're kind of at an impasse. And that person comes in and speaks the Lord into your life and gets you back on track. I'm like, yeah, it's good. And the counselors are saying, we wish more people would come in earlier. Every single marriage could benefit from stopping in from time to time, something like that. So I believe communication is the key. But God's plan is divorce, nothing less than two Christian people together for life. Matthew 19.6 says, since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. So that's for us, Christians married to other Christians. Here's the second group of people. Maybe you, someone you know, Christians married to non-Christians. Look at verse 12. Now I will speak to the rest of you, though I do not have a direct command from the Lord. He's saying, I'm speaking on behalf of Jesus and the authority he's given me. If a Christian man has a wife who's not a believer and she's willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. Same for women. If your husband is not a believer, stick it out. Keep living with them. Verse 14, for the Christian wife brings holiness to her marriage, and the Christian husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children 
would not be holy, but now they are holy. In other words, by you staying in that relationship, hear me on this one, where you go, Jesus goes. And if that person is not a believer and those kids are looking for a chance at a godly example, the family members in there, you sticking it out and staying in that family, you're bringing Jesus through you into a place that would just be darkness if you left. Does that make sense? The Corinthians at the time were going, hey, Paul, now that we're Christians and we're saved, should we just leave our spouses? Because you know what? We're light and they're dark, so we should get away from them, right? He goes, no, actually the opposite. Darkness needs light to shine in there and to do something about that and to change them from darkness to light. So stay where you're at. I love that. He encourages us that way. And I know there's people in the room. It's hard. Maybe you've been there for years. Maybe it's a, a hard thing you're struggling with. And God is just going, the only chance they have is you. So stay in there. Keep shining that light. And then it goes on in verse um, 15 and says, but if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, then you know what? You just got to let them go. In such cases, the Christian husband or wife's no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. There may come a time when they don't want to stay. When you're doing your best to serve God and keep it going and fight for your marriage, and they're just like, nope, sorry, I'm done, I'm out. No counseling, I don't want anything, I don't want to hear anything, just let me out. And at that point, your hands are tied, and God says, look, you're not accountable for that. You, you can't help it. They ran away from you. But you as a Christian, you try your hardest because you're responsible for that because you got me in your life, and I'm always there to work miracles. So he says, keep holding on. Verse 16, don't you wives realize that your husbands might be saved because of you? Don't you husbands realize that your wives might be saved because of you? Verse 17 says, each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you and remain as you were when God first called you. He gives a couple examples of this in the next couple of verses, but drop down to 24 where he reiterates, he says, each of you, dear brothers and sisters, should remain as you were when God first called you. If you're married to someone that is not with the Lord right now, stick it out. Stay with them. Unless, write this down, unless God has specifically called you out, stay in the darkness to shine your light. Stay in that darkness to shine your light. In a marriage, in a job, in an environment where your friends are all like, they're lost in the darkness and you, you want to go, oh, I should separate, right, because I'm holy. No, God goes, yeah, you're holy, you're separate, you're called apart, but you need to give that to your friends. You need to give that to your work environment. I know people right now, they're going, oh, I hate my job. It's so dark. I wish I worked at a place that was all Christians. And God's going, all Christians, they're already in the family. What about those guys that need to be in the family? You're there for that reason alone. That's encouraging stuff that we got to stick it out because we are the light. Where we go, Jesus goes. I love that. Here's an awesome verse, John 1, 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Can I get an amen to that one? I don't care what you think, but that is a good truth from God right there. Where I go, Jesus goes. Because he's the light of the world and he lives in me, so I'm taking his light into wherever I am. And if you're in a relationship, in a marriage, where the other one is non-Christian, you're shining the light for them to see. And the best chance that they have of coming to know Jesus Christ is you. Stick it out. It's so worth it. Then he finally addresses the thing about singles. In uh, verse 25, Christian singles, unmarried, Maybe you've been previously married, maybe you haven't been married yet, but you're in a single place in life. Now, regarding your question about the young women who are not yet married, I do not have a command from the Lord for them because Jesus never, in his Gospels, never actually talked about Christian singles that weren't married yet. He never addressed that. Paul's saying that here. But the Lord in his mercy has given me wisdom that can be trusted. In other words, he goes, I know my authority in Jesus Christ. I know the wisdom he's given me, so let me address this issue because he never talked about it. Let me speak to this because you guys have questions. He says, and I'll share it with you. Because of the present crisis, the present world situation, whatever was going on in Corinth, whatever's going on in our lives, per perhaps there was persecution, perhaps it was just really hard to live as a married person. He goes, because of the present crisis that you're in, here's Paul talking, I think it's best to remain as you are. And this is Paul. If you're single, maybe you should stay single. Let me give you some some kind of qualifiers and some kind of benefits that I see to this. He says, if you have a wife, don't seek to end the marriage. But if you don't have a wife, don't seek to get married. But if you do get married, it's okay. It's not a sin. If a young woman gets married, it's not a sin. However, those who get married at this time will have troubles. And I'm trying to spare you these problems. Paul's just basically saying, look, you can go either way, but I'm single right now. And I can tell you that there's a lot of stuff that comes with marriage. And some of it can be problematic. 
There's a lot of responsibility. It takes a new level of maturity. There's a lot that you got to like think of two people now, not just one. So he goes, it's okay for you to stay single if that's what you feel like. He says, let me say this, dear brothers and sisters, the time, the time that remains is very short. So from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Those who weep or who rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy or their possessions. Those who use the things of this world should not become attached to them for this world as we know it will soon pass away. He's making a point for sometimes it's hard for married people to really serve God because they get too attached to their spouse or to the stuff in life. And he's just going, sometimes it's easier to be single because it's, it's a lot less stuff to have to worry about. He's making a point for singleness at this point. He says, I just want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. The same for a woman who is no longer married or has never been married. She can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. In other words, you go, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just giving you some thoughts on why being single is, is okay. He goes, I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best. And that's the bottom line. Paul's saying, I just want what's best for your life. But just think about this wherever you're at, your marital status. With, I want you to serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. But if a man thinks that he's treating his fiancée improperly and will inevitably give in to his passion, then let him marry her as he wishes. It's not a sin. But if he's decided firmly not to marry and there's no urgency and he can control his passion, he does well not to marry. So the person who marries his fiancée does well, and the person who doesn't marry does even better, according to Paul, right? He, he's kind of he's pulling for the single thing a little bit because that's his place. But in verse 39, he's reminding the unmarried. This is, a, this is a strong one. This is what I always talk to when I talked about to all the college-age people and the people who are at the age in life where they're starting to date and want to be married and all this stuff. Here's what he says in verse 39. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. In other words, what he's saying is marriage is for life. You only get one chance, supposedly, right? Marriage is for life. We don't play around with, well, if I don't like him, just divorce him. That's what, the, that's what all the celebrities do. Well, that's not what the family of God does, according to his word. Marriage is for life, so take it seriously. Carefully consider where you're having, what this life is going to mean. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. If her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes, but only if he loves God. If you're single and you're looking to get married, make sure that other person you're looking to marry loves God too, right? Because here you are seeking the best for your life and seeking God for your best. You want to make sure that the person you marry is seeking the best for their life from the God who can give them the best for their life too, right? You want to be equally yoked. You don't want to be raising kids together and going, you know what, I want my kids to go to church. They need to know God because this is going to be good. And the other person is just going, whatever. They can pick whatever religion they like. doesn't matter. Let them pick their own thing. Whoa, right there. Major conflict of interest, right? Right here, you're going, hey, we need to read our word. We need to build our marriage on the, the laws and precepts of God, not what in this world teaches. And they're going, why? If I don't like you, I'm just going to divorce you and move on. That's what everyone else in the world is doing. You've got to be careful. He's saying, if you're single, take it seriously. Marriage is for life. Marriage is a big deal. Pick the right one. Marry for the right reasons. And he, he says this, um, only if they love the Lord. But in my opinion, verse 40, the last verse, it would be better for her to stay single or him. I think I'm giving you counsel from God's spirit when I say this. Paul is kind of opting for single, but he's saying, that, you know, the rest of us who are unlike Paul don't have the gift of singleness and celibacy. Get married, but realize that it's for life. Take it seriously. You know, don't get married for the wrong reasons. Realize that when you get married, it takes away some of your freedom, some of your, some of your freedom. Like when I got married, I realized I can't just grab my board and go surf all day long and come back whenever I want, right? Because there's someone waiting at home with dinner. And I'm like, oh, sorry, right? And it's like you realize I can't just go hang out with the boys. I can't go do what I want to do. Now I got someone that has to come along with me. Now there's two mouths to feed in my house. Now there's two car payments, right? Now there's all this stuff, and I give up a lot of my freedom. I can't just go and eat junk food all the time. Like, I got to go stay home and eat what she cooks for me, right? <laughs> there's compromise. There's payoffs. There's, there's stuff that you lose, you know, sometimes when you marry. And, and Paul is just warning, think about this, people. Marriage is a big deal. It's a big responsibility. If you, you don't, sex is a great thing in marriage. It really is. But you don't just marry to have sex, right? 
for, for someone to take care of you and, and meet all your financial obligations, give you financial stability and a great place to live, that's good in marriage, but that's not why you get married, right? It's good to have the money. It's good to have the sex. In, in good looks. Oh, that person's so hot. Oh, I want to be with them the rest of my life, right? And that's great. If your husband, your wife is good looking and that's good, that alone is not a reason to get married. And he's warning singles very clearly. Hey, take it seriously. There's a lot of stuff. Some of us are like, well, the, the clock is ticking. I need to have kids. I better just go look for some healthy young man. Hey, let's, let's, let's have kids here, right? Great to have kids in a marriage. It blesses the family. That alone is not a reason to get married. Peer pressure and the fact that all the rest of your group of friends are getting married and you're like, well, I want to fit in. I want to go to couples night too, right? I want to go to like a what is it, the, the Love Life series, but I don't have a love in my life, so I need to get one, so I'm just going to go to that. We do it for peer pressure reasons. That's wrong reasons to get married. Just to cure loneliness? No, it's good that when I am married to my wife, I come home to my best friend every night, and I'm not lonely anymore. That alone by itself is the wrong reason to get married. Any of these alone are wrong reasons. Paul is saying, take this stuff seriously. It's good to be married. It's good to have all of this stuff in marriage, but make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons. And most important, 2 Corinthians 6.14, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live in darkness? Most important, make sure you find someone else who is seeking God's best for their life, who is a Christian, that you're grounded, that you're equally yoked. That's so, so important. Marriage is an amazing thing. It's a huge benefit to my life. I get to come home to my best friend every night. You know, people always say this, single guys always say this, oh, what, you got to go home to the same woman every night? And I say, no, I get to go home to the same woman every night because it's good. It's better than what you got. Your little one time, mine keeps getting better because with more practice, hey, we get better. <laughs> so it should be getting better, right? But it's more than just that alone. That's great, and I love that. Thank you, God, for that. That's cool. But you know what's even better is there's someone that has my back that knows me better than anyone else. Why would I want to do a one-night stand with someone? All they can give me is physical gratification. When I can go to someone that gives me that and more, there's my, my best friend. They're my backup. They're my ministry partner. My life actually got better in serving the Lord because my wife serves the Lord alongside with me in my marriage. Our church is better because I am married to that woman back there. Our church is better for it. My life is better for it right? And that's what marriage is all about, and that's God's plan. And if you in any way, shape, or form have up until this point today been living outside of the best for your life, don't feel bad. You did not come here this morning to get beat up, to get condemned, to get judged, to be made to feel guilty because you haven't been living up to par. It's like what Jesus said when he, he caught the, the woman in adultery, and he said, you know what? Now that you know, just go and sin no more. Now that you know you're responsible for what you know, leave the past behind you. I already went to the cross for that. All you got to do is give it to me right now, right here, and I will put that stuff to death in your life. Start living the correct way. Forget your past. Live what you now know is God's heart for you. I don't want anybody walking out of this room today feeling condemned, feeling judged, feeling like, oh, that, that beat me up. That's this, that's that. You know what? All you got to do right now is go, God, take it. I've been doing it wrong. I'm tired of it. Let's change from this day forward. Lord, give me your Holy Spirit to empower me to do it. I can't do it on my own. Keep me in your word that instructs me. Keep me surrounded by this amazing family of God that has my back and will help me get through to make right decisions from this point forward. There is freedom. There is grace. There is love. There is healing in the name of Jesus Christ. And all we have to do is say yes to it and accept it. It's that easy. I seriously don't want anybody walking out of here today continuing to hold on to the wrong view of marriage and sex and divorce and all that kind of stuff. It can change right now, guys, with a simple prayer. Let's actually pray right now, bow our heads, and we'll get you guys out of here this morning. Father God, we thank you for your word and how it instructs us, and it's how it's so clear. And it's wisdom beyond us, Lord, that your thoughts are higher than ours, and you're so much smarter than us. We thank you for giving us the word. Thank you for giving us people like the Apostle Paul. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit to give us discernment and guidance and direction and instruction and lead us into all truth. Lord, thank you for the help that's available. I pray that every one of us in this church family would take you up on all that is available to us. Lord, through your word, through your Holy Spirit, through, through just godly relationships. Lord, I pray that we would all have received something from your word here today, Father God, that would change our lives, that would change our eternity. 
Lord, we all want the best for our lives and what you have is the best. We believe that and we want to hold on to that. And Lord, right now, if there's anybody that's holding on to stuff and they're hurting and they're feeling like they haven't done a good job of living up to your standards, Lord, that's probably almost all of us in this room. Lord, I pray right now, as we repent and we give that to you, Lord, we turn from that stuff, we lay it at the foot of the cross, Lord, that you would take that, you would cover that. Lord, we know that when we give all this stuff to you, you're not saying it's about time. What you're saying is, thank you, I already died for that stuff on the cross. Thank you, that's already done. Thank you, I forgive you, I give you freedom. I'm gonna take you into something that's better right now because you're giving that stuff up. Now I have more room to, to, to operate in your life. So Lord, let us just give our hearts to you right now and give up all these things and these burdens and this stuff that we've been doing that we see now is not really the best for our lives, Lord. We want all of you and what's best for us. Change us, forgive us, heal us, Father God. And as we move forward, there may be people in this room right now that you're not even a Christian yet. You couldn't really officially call yourself that because you kind of know God, but you don't really follow him. You're not really jumped in with both feet. You're not all in. But maybe this morning God spoke to you somehow through the words here and you realize that he's a good God and he wants to fix your life, not judge you on it. He wants to give you a better way, not condemn you. He wants to, to do new things in your life that are going to be a blessing to you. And if that's you, he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to call you into being his child, his son or his daughter so that he could give you eternal life in him, so that he could bless your life in the here and now. He could change your circumstances for the better. If that's you, I want to give an opportunity right now for you to know Jesus and to be assured that you have salvation and that he knows you and he knows you by name and that you're his child and that you're going to heaven and that he's beginning a new work in your life. And if you want to say yes to that and become a Christian right now and pray this prayer with me, here's what we're going to do. Those seated around you all have their eyes closed and their heads bowed. I would like to lead you in a prayer if you want to become a Christian right now and for God to change your life. How we're going to do it is I'm going to say the words out loud to this prayer, but they're going to be your words. I want you to make those words, the word that I say, your words in your heart to God. I'm not going to ask you to pray out loud in front of all these people. That might be hard to do today, but I want you to give your heart to God in the words that I'm saying right now. God hears you and he judges you on your heart. Afterwards, you can go confess with your mouth and tell people about it, but right now it's a heart issue. And if you're willing to take that chance, that risk on God to believe that he's got better stuff in store for you than you could ever imagine, I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. I'm going to pray it out loud. You pray it quietly, but I would love for you to let me know that we're praying it together just so I know who I'm praying with. No one else around you sitting down sees you, just me. If you want to say this prayer with me, when I count to three, I'm just going to ask that you would raise your hand just so I know who I'm praying with here today. If that's you, one, two, three. Just go ahead and raise those hands. I see one, I see two. Come on, lift them up. If there's anybody else in the room, you need Jesus and you want some help, I see three right here. Praise God. Anybody else, if I don't see you, just kind of wave at me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father God, for those hands. I saw about three people this morning. That's good. Go ahead, if that's you, I want you to just put your hand out. I want you to pray this prayer with me in your heart to God. Lord, I'm here this morning and I need you. And I believe it at this point. I'm convinced. Lord, I'm willing to take a chance on you with my life. I'm tired of living it on my own. I believe that you have a better way. You have plans for my life. And so, Lord, I say yes to you and your plans right now. Lord, I believe that you sent your son, Jesus, to this earth to become human, to go to that cross, to pay for my sins, even though he wasn't guilty. He took my guilt and shame upon him, and he died. He paid the price for that guilt and shame. And then on the third day, he resurrected. He overcame that guilt and shame. He beat it down. He beat death for my benefit, Father God, that you would be able to put to death all that stuff in my life, Lord. I believe that right now, that you paid the price for my sins on that cross 2,000 years ago. Lord, I receive the forgiveness that you're giving me right now. I receive the new life that you have planned for me. I receive the power of your Holy Spirit in my life. Lord, I want to see miracles. I'm not signing up for a religion here. I'm signing up for a, a relationship with an almighty, powerful God that answers prayer, that changes things in the supernatural and does miracles. Lord, I want that. Lord, I promise to get water baptized as a symbol of what you're doing in my heart right now, dying to my old self, washing away that stuff, becoming a new creation. Lord, I promise to read your word, to be a part of the family of God. Lord, all the things that you say are good for me from this moment on, I take hold of that and I will follow you all of my days. Thank you for loving me, for blessing me, for accepting me as your child. Thank you for taking, with, taking me with you into heaven for all of eternity. Lord, I no longer fear death because of you. 
Thank you for what you just did in my life and in my heart. In Jesus' mighty name, we all said, amen. And we thank